Awesome people. Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Hi everyone, this is Fran Lewis. This is Book Talk with Fran Lewis, brought to you by MJ Network. MJ, in memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce, I am so excited. The author of Blindsided Justice is here. Let me give you a little taste because you're going to want to read this. Dylan Tomasi returns in the sequel to the original coming-of-age thriller Paperboy. Having grown up, poor Dylan is now a successful private investor, wealthy beyond his wildest dreams, and living an idyllic lifestyle on the Florida Gulf Coast. Cognizant of his humble beginnings, he is committed to paying it forward as he prepares for the opening of his charitable foundation, Crown Jewel. But there's crime everywhere, and I'm not going to tell you any more. Good morning, and welcome to MJ Network. Good morning, Fran. Nice to be with you. Tell me, I read the prologue again this morning, just to make sure that I had all the events. How how did you create this prologue, and how do you set the chain of events to explain what they what you found at the end? And what gets me is that I've been listening to the news a lot, and this prologue is so prevalent and so right there in the news. I, I write contemporary fiction. And one of the frustrating things is that between the time I write this, which is for the most part some extrapolation of current events, unfortunately, (laughs) some of the things I write happen in the real world before I can get the book out. Um, But to answer your question, uh, you you gave a little background on on the book. Um, It's the second book in the Dylan Tomasi series. The first book was a coming-of-age thriller, which sort of introduced him, his, his backstory. And now he's, uh, you know, he's, he's grown up. He's living on the west coast of Florida. And, and the, the prologue was really an editorial decision to lay the groundwork for the climate in the Tampa Bay area. Um, we still do in the real world here have a robust law and order system, but that's not the case mm. everywhere. And so mm. the prologue introduced the backstory of how a uh, self-described uh, criminal justice reformist moved to Florida from the north, ran for office, got elected, and then uh, pushed an agenda that sets the stage for the book and basically uh, you know, crime is rampant, and, uh, of course, a lot of that ultimately affects uh, our protagonist during the course of the story and, and people close to him. I know. I got re- I'm got. reading this, and I just read it again. So you have changes in police procedures and arrests, and where, ha- where did the crime increase and why? But I get the feeling this was intentional. Well, when when this... We call it the state attorney here. 
uh, similar yeah. to a district attorney in a lot of venues. When he got elected, he immediately announces he's de- decriminalizing certain categories of crime. He's pushing mm-hmm. the court system for a no-bail policy. He starts a what, what's uh, called a, a conviction integrity unit where he's spending the majority of his resources reviewing um, prior cases to see if, um, you know, there was anything inappropriate about how the people were convicted and then looking mm. to have those overturned. So the first thing he does is he gets rid of all of the career prosecutors and brings in lawyers that have the same, uh, uh, you know, that want to, uh, you know, work within his agenda. So it, over time, and that's another reason for the prologue is to show how this happened. It doesn't happen overnight. Mm. Um, but as we set the present-day stage in the book, all uh, categories of crime are increased, and it, it, it's, it's quite simple. The deterrent effect has been eradicated, and so those predisposed to, make, to commit crime feel like, uh, well, I can get away with it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Is this just so scary? I mean, I was just on the news the other day that this happened in a, in a specific town where the um, county prosecutor was arrested for, for fraud and all sorts of stuff. So I was like, this is this is so real. Tell us about Dylan and his foundation, and what is the rationale behind it? Okay, so in the first book, um, Dylan goes through some experiences. He's very, very wealthy. I mean, if mm-hmm. a reader can figure that out, but he, yeah. he's wealthy beyond his wildest imagination. And he goes through some experiences where he realizes, I want to get back. And his, his motivation is purely altruistic. So he starts small, and then he decides, I want to start a youth center for underprivileged children because he himself grew up poor. His father abandoned him as a child. He was raised by his single mother and a mysteriously reclusive widow that he meets on his paper route as a boy. And she mentors him to this day. He's in his mid-40s mm. now. But she mentored him, and it's through her wisdom and generosity that he got his start. So he feels like, I want to help the type of people that, um, you know, I was. And so he, he starts this. He, he starts a youth center, which is uh, – Uh, literally a conglomeration of buildings that's going to provide everything from after-school tutoring. He's a big believer in sports, that that keeps people, teaches them Mm. good life lessons, and he's going to provide medical care that they don't get, things like that. So he's all in on this, and his business is very small. He has basically two employees. And Mm -hmm. and the book starts out where he realizes, "I, I may have bitten off more than I can chew here, and so that's why he is literally um, burning the candle at both ends, trying to do his regular stuff, which is private investing and real estate development and getting this um, mm. this youth center up and running. You know, it's amazing because I'm listening to what you're saying, helping all those people and stuff, and they're doing that up here, but not for the people that live here, for the people that are coming in as immigrants. They're doing that for all of them. Yeah, yeah. School yeah, and everything. Yeah, issue. there's going to be a... Yeah, there's going to be a protest this afternoon at the mayor's office, the mayor at City Hall, to explain to him why he needs to stop what he's doing. <laughs> there's hundreds of thousands yeah. of people here. So who is well, Shirley? You know, What's it's sad. I'm sorry, go ahead. 
No, I understand their problem, okay. and I agree, but you know what? There are people here that don't have it also, and that makes me sad. Yeah, yeah. Shirley um, is his personal assistant. She mm. runs basically his business and personal life. She works out of his home. The only job he had, he graduated from college, moved to Florida from Connecticut, mm-hmm. um, took a job in a brokerage house for about three years and realized that wasn't for him. But he met Shirley there, and he liked her, her work ethic and her loyalty, and he took her with him, and she's worked for him ever since, and she is basically his right-hand person. So who are Esther and Angus, and tell us about Alex and Anne. Why was she important at the beginning? So trying to take this in order, Angus is yeah. his other employee. Um, mm-hmm. He has two. He has Shirley and Angus. Ang- he he um, is very, very financially savvy. So around um, 08, 09, when the real estate um, market collapsed down here, he moved from a rental apartment into a large estate on the waterfront in the most exclusive neighborhood of St. Petersburg. Mm. And when he moved in, it was actually built by a developer, a high-flying developer that went bankrupt. It was about to go into foreclosure, and he bought it for, you know, pennies on the dollar. So um, Angus was already the caretaker, and he kept him on. So Angus takes care of his property uh, occasionally serves as his driver, um, and he lives on the property. There's a, a separate apartment where he lives. So those are his two employees, Angus and Shirley, um, until he starts this uh, foundation and realizes he needs more help. Um, the next person I think you asked about is Esther. Esther is, I mentioned earlier, the reclusive widow that's mentored him since he was yeah. a child. That's Esther, Esther Lott. Um, Esther... For whatever reason, and, you know, if someone reads the first book, they'll get the whole story on how their relationship Mm. developed. But she has um, provided him with um, just um, counsel and advice, even to this day. When he runs, Mm. there's a certain naivete about Dylan. He's really a good person. Yeah. He's not political. He tries to look at everything from a common sense and reasonableness standpoint. And sometimes he doesn't understand things. And so even though he has a loving family with his mother and his maternal grandmother and grandfather, he confides in Esther, and she always seems to provide uh, clear uh, advice that makes a lot of sense. Both I about think everybody needs about one. And about, I'm sorry? I think everybody needs an Esther. Yeah, everybody does need an Esther. <laughs> I could use one at times. Yeah, me too. That's why I miss my sister because she was my Esther. <laughs> when she died, I lost yeah. my Esther. Yeah. Yeah. So who is, who is Ruben Neal and what happens that changes his life? Why, and then why add it to the plot? So Ruben Neal is introduced in this book. He is just someone that has had just not a very good life. Um, he, he was, you know, he was picked on at school. Mm. Um, he goes through some experiences where he realizes maybe I can, you know, become a little bit more socially acceptable and popular if I become a medical doctor. 
Uh, mm. The problem is he can't get through high school because he's picked on so badly. So he homeschools. Um, he gets a, a, a dual degree. He gets an associate's degree and his high school diploma, but he really can't get into any good school. So he goes to an online college, and the only medical school that will take him is uh, a, you know, a Caribbean school because he mm. just can't get into a conventional U.S. school with his credentials. So he goes to the Caribbean, gets his medical degree, does a, a residency in a rural hospital in Mississippi, comes home, and he is now an ER doctor in a hospital in mm. Tampa. But, again, he's a doctor, but he's excluded from any of the social events. He's just kind mm-hmm. of an outcast. He works hard, but he's just he's off. And, um, you know, he goes through this experience, where he is the mark of this criminal enterprise, this group that goes around, um, you know, just engaging in all kind of criminal behavior. And what he's he's set up by one of the females in the group, and um, she takes him back to his her apartment, what really was a hotel room, and yeah. she's stalling till the guys can get there and shake him down. So she decides to stall by dressing him up as a woman and putting makeup on him until they get there. So they, they fleece him. They, they make him give him his credit cards, his numbers. They, you know, they shake him down for, you know, all this money on his credit card and his bank card, and they dump him on the side of the street. And now he finds himself in, the, in his hospital, and he's terrified. He thinks, I'm going to lose my medical license. I'm going to get fired. This is just horrible. But then everything changes when the hospital hires him an attorney and the attorney comes and sees him and see, uh, and really seizes on what she sees as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Yeah, I know. It's, it's scary. And then could it happen? Sure it could. Anything like this well, could happen. You, you know That's what I think? Scary. I think of these, these viral moments like Nick Sandman, if yeah. you remember him, he was the high school kid that had the picture taken with a Native yeah. American protester, or um, there was just a girl on a plane who um, they took, you know, video of her. She just had kind of a meltdown. Mm. And the next thing you know, these people are a viral sensation. Well, that's sort of what happened to um, Reuben Neal. And while his attorney is waiting to see him, there's all these people in the lobby that want to see him, a member of um, – uh, an advocacy group for the gay and lesbian and transgender alliance. Mm-hmm. News reporters want to talk to him. There's all these, so she starts to formulate this plan in her mind while she's waiting to get in there. And when she does, she presents it to him, and he's like, "Well, what do I have to lose?" You know, he went. He's 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 right now at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, just scared he's going to lose everything, and she decides we may be able to do something with this. And boy, does she. Her and her team. Yeah, she's a she's a real piece of work, and um, she has her own thing. He's a pawn in their in their whole thing. He has no choice. It's sort of like either I work or I don't. And don't they give him? I'm trying to remember a different position in the hospital, and he doesn't do surgery anymore. He does something else. Well, he never goes back to work. He, yeah. They 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 basically tell him. I don't want to give too much of this away. No, but don't. Basically, yeah. they they tell him, um, 
you know, let, let just follow our lead. He's just he's he's got now social media accounts. He's making mm. all these appearances. He's got all these, um, uh, you know, he's doing all this promotion for a, um, uh, 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 you know, different companies. Um, the hospital decides, well, you know, I th- you'll be better off serving on our board, getting paid more yeah. for like six meetings a year than grinding it out in the ER, you know, every night. Um, and then ultimately he gets appointed to a position um, for the state, uh, the, the state surgeon general. So, you know, just because uh, this movement was just seeking a face, they were able to, um, you know, make this guy the person that everybody was looking for, to have the face of this movement. That's scary. Now, tell us about Dylan and his property, and all of a sudden he had to add security, and then the character that I really like is Quentin Alley. The the character you like? I didn't catch that. Who do you the like? character I like is oh, Quentin Alley. I really okay. like him. Yeah, so let me, <laughs> yeah, let me back up a little bit. So you had asked about um, Ann. So Dylan has a yeah. white shoe law firm that handles all his legal work. And mm. when he decided to start a foundation, he needed somebody to set up his nonprofit, you know, do all of it. It's, it's a very, very, um, you know, paperwork and filing intensive thing to, to meet all the tax requirements and, and everything else. So Ann Hafner is the go-to person for nonprofit associations, and she represents all kinds of, you know, big-time universities, um, you know, chair, uh, family foundations, things, things of that nature. And she introduces him to Quentin Alley, who has, uh, who's a football player. Mm-hmm. And um, he and Dylan hit it off. She introduces them at an event. They hit it off because they really have the same background, you know, raised by single mothers. And Quentin is like, well, you know, football worked for me, but I know it works for such a small percentage of people. You're a good example of someone who came from the same background who made it, you know, in a way that, you know, more people have to make it just because not everybody Mm -hmm. can be in the NFL. Well, you've got to be lucky when you have something and you can actually turn it into something even better. Because there's so many people, I watch the news and I watch everything, and these kids actually think that things are coming to them, and the parents just give them whatever they want. And they get nowhere in this world because they just think, well, if they don't give it to me, then I'll steal it or something. So he wants to be part of the foundation. So let me move down to the bottom. Who is Hillary? And why was a young black girl killed? So Hillary and the, the death of the black girl um, yeah. are really separate. Hillary is the lawyer that the hospital CEO, she's independent. Um, yeah. they, the CEO hears about um, uh, Dr. Neal's incident. He's in the hospital. She decides he needs outside counsel to help him through this. So she's the one that meets with everyone I was talking about earlier. Yeah. And she really is the point person in helping to reform him into um, what they present to the public. And um, she gets a team around him to get him all of that promotional work, the board position. And, um, you know, all of a sudden now, um, Dr. Neal is a high-flying celebrity 
thanks to her. The girl is intertwined in the story from the beginning, um, and then she 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 stays in the story. She's part of there's a there's a specific criminal gang that operates yeah. as a result of the changes in how uh, the criminal justice system is working. And she starts out as one of the people that are responsible for the death of the elderly man in prologue. And it comes full circle when her and her crew um, do a home invasion gone bad. And the person that was the victim of the home invasion fires a shot into the darkness and hits her. So now she's dead. And the, the, uh, the state attorney has a problem because he publicly identified her as one of the assailants in the murder of the elderly man and said he's not going to prosecute her. She's a, a, you know, a marginalized minority juvenile um, who was being influenced by other people, and so we're not mm. going to prosecute her. And then, you know, not long after that, she ends up dead. So he decides to prosecute the shooter who was in his own house and who fired the shot during the home invasion, and that just happens to be Shirley's son. Mm. This is just like writing the news and what happens. Seriously. Yeah. So. We have, yeah, and then she arrests, he arrests Ronnie. Why does he arrest right. him? Because of that, right? And he's, he's because, God, this guy is so so corrupt. <laughs> well, they, they, you know, there's a scene in there where they have a meeting, and, you know, you, I mean, Florida is a very self-defense-friendly state when it comes to particularly someone entering your home to commit a crime. Mm-hmm. But it just sort of highlights how far, uh, you know, the law enforcement has moved from what is really the law here. I mean, we have the Castle Doctrine. We have the Stand Your Ground Doctrine. We have the uh, Forcible Felony Rule. All of those things on their face give someone the right to defend themselves um, with deadly force in the commission of a forcible felony, particularly in your own home. But this guy oh, comes up with, and, and he, gives a, he gives a public statement, and he justifies why he's charging um, Ronnie, Shirley's son, with murder. And so now, um, you know, he's arrested, and Shirley's a mess, and they're trying to open the foundation. And, of course, as Dylan always does, he steps in for people that are close to him. And Shirley's as close to him as, as his family. He's lucky, because in real life, people would just walk away, and, and don't I well, know Well, Shirley, Shirley ends up dating Quentin Alley, and Quentin yeah, Alley yeah. Uh, assures him, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, assures Shirley that when you have good counsel, it makes a huge difference, and of course, Dylan hires the best counsel for, uh, for Ronnie. I think everybody could use one, including me. What could I tell you? So who is Claire, who is Gabe, and why include him? So Claire, again, two separate people. Claire, yeah. Alex, 
Alex, we haven't really talked about him. Alex is Dylan's best friend since childhood. Yeah, Alex, I like him. Um, he grew up, um, you know, in, in wealth and privilege in Fairfield County, Connecticut, which is the expensive, for people that don't know, that's the expensive, exclusive bedroom community outside of New York. Includes Greenwich, Westport, Darien. So um, Alex is the offspring of a wealthy New York family. Dylan grew up poor, but they become friends. And mm. Dylan, uh, I think Alex appreciates the closeness of Dylan's family. His parents growing up were more civic-minded, involved in charitable and social functions, country clubbers. And so they were somewhat aloof with him. And he appreciated and almost treats um, um, Dylan's mother like a second mom. Mm-hmm. So they just, they're opposites, but they just have had an enduring close friendship since they were kids. And Dylan is stressed out because he can't find a director for the foundation. Time is running out. Mm-hmm. The grand opening is coming. And Alex finds out and says, guess what? the assistant director of our family foundation is moving to Florida. So he hooks them up, and she is another perfect fit for Dylan. She's as loyal and as mm. um, effective as Shirley and Angus, and she takes the thing, you know, by the horns and makes it all happen. I like her, too, yeah, because he he did his homework on her. Shirley did his homework on her to make sure that he didn't hire somebody that he was going to have a problem. So we have Ruben, who's in Atlanta, right? Got that. Yeah, Ruben, Ruben is now the face, uh, well, Dr. Lana Neal now, is the face mm. of the transgender movement. The problem is he's not transgender. He's, I know. He's just appearing as a woman be, at, on the advice of his lawyer and their team, so he's sort of... He's pulling a scam on the American people, but they've embraced him as, you know, as, as a major celebrity. And so this guy went from, you know, not even being able to get his coworkers to invite him to happy hour to now being, you know, one of the most popular uh, cultural figures in the country. This is it's scary. This is like, I'm, I feel like I'm watching the news again. So most of the people I wondering, Lana and Ruben, he thinks he finally got a good deal. But were they? I don't know if they're honest or just milking him for the money that he's bringing in. Well, they're certainly making money off of him, but yeah. you know he's living and he went from a an apartment in a in a bad part of town, strapped mm-hmm. with student loans from college and medical school. And now he's got a driver, he's got security, he's living in a luxury apartment in downtown Tampa. And, you know, women are paying attention to him like never before because he makes it clear that although he's transgender, he dates exclusively women. So he's getting, you know, in his mind, everything he's ever wanted. He just has to not be true to himself to accomplish it, but he's willing to go along with that. Well, I don't know. Somehow, somehow, I worry about Dylan because he's like he wants to trust people, but should he? Now comes the revelation. He got he, Rachel. She took him for a ride, didn't she? Michelle took him yeah, for a ride. Yeah. Um. Yes, she did. 
So I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> he he, he does have a he, he does have a tough time with women, and mm-hmm. it's because you know the 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 dichotomy between him and Alex is is striking. Alex is an incorrigible ladies man, and uh, he plays the game. And Dylan is just you you get what you see, and he's sincere, and he doesn't play games. But unfortunately. He he's, can be the target of women with ulterior motives, and that's what happens with with uh, with Rochelle. She's she's just she's sort of the opposite of uh, of Doctor Neil. On, on the surface, she looks like she has everything, and really, she's to be blunt about it, she's crazy. Well, she wanted the job as a director, right? There was one that she so, wanted to do something, yeah, and they finally so, fig- he figured it out. Oh, my God. <laughs> so what happens there um, is he's trying to fill a staff. It's mostly volunteers to do everything from tutoring mm-hmm. to coaching the, the uh, club sports teams. Uh, he needs medical people because, as I mentioned, they provide medical care for the – for their clients that fall through the cracks. So if they need uh, dentists or counseling or, you know, something like that, that they'll provide it and they'll coordinate it. And he needs a medical director. So he meets her at a football game when he's sort of being ignored because, and this won't surprise anybody that knows these characters, mm-hmm. um, they're there at Ann's invitation, his attorney. And Ann and Alex end up getting together. So now he's the odd man out third wheel at this party after the football game, and he meets Rochelle, who seems to have it all. Beautiful, smart, went to the best schools, uh, works at Children's Hospital in St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. So um, he offers to take her around and possibly, um, you know, have her be the medical director, but he's really interested in her romantically, and she is interested in him. So that's how that starts out. So what happens with Lana? How does, who's Claire and how does she create the rooms and events? What are her ideas? Claire? Isn't she the other one? The, the other the no, medical no, Claire, director? Claire that is the director playing? of the foundation. foundation the director she's the, the foundation. new one, yeah. I like her. Yeah, she, she um, really just, at the beginning of the book, Dylan's running on no sleep. He's frazzled. He's, concerned he's taken on too much and then Claire shows up and just runs with it and everything comes together at the grand opening it sort of brings all these loose ends together and and that's that's the event where all these dangling mysteries sort of come together but it's Claire that's just said I got this relax and um you know she's she's a keeper Without a doubt. But now this bothered me. There were more murders, but no investigations, right? More people get killed, and he refuses to do anything about it. Um, give me an example, because I'm not thinking of any of uh, Now, Now, the, the, the person that, in, the, in the prologue that, was, that died where the, the yeah. minor was implicated, she yeah. happened to be identified. They knew that there was a gang that participated. They just weren't able to get anyone else. And, again, without giving away too much, within the state attorney's office, that criminal enterprise 
had an insider that made things go away. So, you know, if they got really backed into a corner, um, they, you know, they, it was sort of like a pay-to-play thing. You know, they had to give this guy within the office a piece of the action, and in return, they kept them out of any serious trouble. So there's really no further, that, that, that case remains unsolved through the book. Um, yeah, I know. You know, other than that, um, a lot of the murders are pending investigations until something horrible happens to the state attorney towards the end of the book. And he has a basically an epiphany that maybe his policies aren't the best because he's now being affected by them. That's it's scary. There's so much corruption. It's it's, it's it, you just hear it every single day. And I mean, you see the picture of the person's face that they say, "Oh, he's wonderful," and he's full of corruption too. And it'd be scary if he gets reelected. Even more scary. <laughs> what can I tell you? So. Well, it, it, in the prologue, um, he comes. Uh, Troy Eads is the state attorney in Tampa. He originally mm-hmm. worked for the DA in Philadelphia, uh, running the Conviction Integrity Unit. They all these offices have this now, which basically is looking to mm-hmm. reduce the prison population. And um, he. Um, you know, learned the, the, the trade from him and, uh, you know, came down here and, and, and duplicated it. But that guy in Philadelphia, despite, you know, a, a huge increase in crime, and by the way, those statistics in the prologue about crime in Philadelphia are real. And oh, yeah, yeah, he was reelected. He was reelected. And in the real world, of course, it's a fictional character in the book, but the real-life district attorney there who has a similar agenda, was reelected. The people of Philadelphia said, um, you know, I guess this is the part where I've got to say this is all fiction and, you know, any coincidence to, or, uh, to any real people is, is, you know, or is a coincidence, I should say. But um, those statistics are real, and you brought it up, so I'm just pointing out that in the real world, that DA was reelected despite that huge increase in crime. That's scary, but before I forget... I'm taking a couple of days off, people, so I can finish my new book if I ever have the energy to do it. I write scary stuff. Trust me. Um, So uh, The Taming of the Word, uh, Betty Slade will be here on uh, September 5th with her her newsletter. And Betty has invited invited me in December to join the team that writes six-word stories. And every month she sends me a prompt and said, what do you think of this? And I sent her like 12 last, last week, you know, for six-word stories. It's really interesting. It's hard, too, but it's fun. On the six, we have New York Times author uh, Deb Pines, Evil for Evil. On the 12th, New York Times authors Boyd Morrison, Elizabeth Morrison, The Last True Templar. On the 15th, New York Times author John Lansing, 25 to Life. And here's the big one. On September 20th, Spy Coast, Tess Gerenson takes the center stage on the 21st, Eleanor Kuhn's, and on the 28th, I'm going to talk about hospice and how hospice helps, helps people uh, that are terminal with Minister Sam uh, Oliver. That's just next month. Wait till you hear October. So, 
Now, Dylan did something that, I mean, I, I was fascinated. I was sorry that there were no pictures. He created three buildings for the foundation. And how did he do that? And how were clients accepted? And what about the staff? How did he get them to know that these people are reputable? So he, um, this really goes back to the first book where he came up with the idea. And he located a property that was in foreclosure in Midtown, St. Petersburg. There was two existing buildings there. And so, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the books are standalone. You could read mm-hmm. Blindsided Justice without having read Paperboy. But in the original book, he acquires the buildings and the land. He's in commercial real estate development. So he hires one of his contractors to renovate uh and reimagine the existing two buildings, update. We used to be a park and a and a and a uh, like an activity center that the city owned. They sold it, and then a bank foreclosed on it. So it had been sitting there, just uh, you know, fenced in and just overgrown and dilapidated buildings when he bought it. And then they built a third building, and mm. so all of that's taken place separately by his construction guy. He, he doesn't get his hands dirty. He's like the money guy when they do mm-hmm. any type of real estate development. So he had, he had his guys do that. As far as the, um, the volunteers, Shirley handles that. She's, the, she's an administrator. And everyone does go through a background check. Um, you know, there's a vetting process. She's primarily responsible for that, whether you're a volunteer or you're a, you know, a paid employee. And it's not a lot of detail because, quite honestly, it's kind of boring. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, that's, that's how it's handled. And I think that's mentioned um, in there. And really, the background check is what, after it becomes apparent that Rochelle is not quite right. Yeah, um, I know. The, the, uh, the, uh, her background check comes back. Um, when he was away with her, and really the last straw happened, and Shirley pulls him aside and says, uh, "You might want to look at this," and uh, that's it. He has to he has to cut her loose. Thank God, thank God for Shirley. So now we get to the nitty gritty here. Riley was arrested, and Eds presses second degree murder charges against him. Not a nice thing to do. And who is Charlie? Charlie is um I'm drawing a blank on who Charlie is. Well, let's go into who is Porter Williams. What is his real role and why? How come okay. he, he pressed yep. second degree murder charges against somebody that didn't do it? Well, so what happens is um Ronnie is out with one of his coworkers. He just graduated from college. He's, he works at an engineering firm. And one of the older coworkers invites him to go out for a drink after work. Yeah. So as he's leaving the bar, he's, he's harassed by these three young people, the, the, the young black miner and these two uh, older guys. And they harass him for money, and he refuses. It gets a little physical, and he just kind of pushes one of the guys out of the way, hops in his truck, and takes the short ride home. He lives up by the University of South Florida um, in an area that's not a real good area. So as he's going in the house, he doesn't realize 
he's being followed by these three people. And that's when he, he can't mm. keep them out. They force their way in. He runs into his bedroom. He has a gun. And he yells at him. He hears, he hears him continue to move towards him. He fires a single shot. The other two people flee. So when the case is before uh, the committee in the state attorney's office, um, Potter Williams does not want to charge this for his own reasons. Yeah. But he says, look, this isn't going to look good. He, he didn't prosecute this woman um, for murder when the, the elderly man was killed, and now she's dead. And he said, I don't care. I mean, the, the facts don't add up. Because the other people fled, it just looks like this young single man had a minor female in his apartment, in his bedroom, or at least in the threshold of the bedroom door. She's dead. Mm. Where's the evidence that anybody else was there? He goes, I don't, I'm not buying this guy's story. And, you know, he plays the whole, you know, well, he's a privileged white guy and she's a marginalized, mm. homeless, you know, black female. That's, you know, he, he said to his staff, charge him at least with secondary murder. And so they do. And that's where, you know, he gets uh, assistance from Dylan, who hires an attorney for him. You know, Dylan has to go, who's Kelsey? And why does all of a sudden Vernon Foster go off and the district attorney, well, the, the guy that's running the place, is not happy? So, Kelsey, once, once Dylan realizes that things aren't going to work with Rochelle, He's, yeah. he's playing golf at his country club, and he meets a celebrity golf influencer, Kelsey Green, who has a show on the Golf Channel. Dylan's a big sports guy, plays golf. And they meet, and they seem to hit it off. And because Dylan is, as I mentioned earlier, he's not a real player, so to speak, when it comes to the women. Mm -hmm. But she joins him because they had a threesome. It was um, Dylan was there to play with his mom and his mom's boyfriend. So she joins him, and they have a little friendly bet, and the winner has to uh, – or the, the winner gets lunch, uh, dinner from the loser, has to pay. So she wins, of course. She's a very good golfer. He is too, but she's better. And so um, they agree to meet in Orlando where she lives, which is, you know, an hour and a half away. And so he tries to connect with her. Alex is over the top that – uh, that Dylan, his friend, met her, and he pushes and he pushes. Well, she ghosts him. Kelsey Green just ghosts him. And mm -hmm. so it's just another example of Dylan's just has a rough time with women. Well, Dylan needs what my sister used to do to anybody I dated, for real. She needs a, he needs a clipboard test, and the person needs to answer the questions, and if they pass the test, then maybe he can go out with her. I'm serious. And my, my sister did this. It was hilarious. And she had a list of questions on a on a keyboard on a tape on a, a thing on a paper, on a clipboard. And if they didn't pass the test, she told me get rid of them. And she was usually right. Maybe Dylan needs a clipboard yeah, test. Well, seriously. It, it's, yeah. Well, the problem is Alex is is he's not the best person for that. He's just too no. obsessed with women, and he's a smart guy. He's a successful lawyer, but his judgment gets clouded when it comes to women, and that often means trouble, and that often means Dylan has to get involved to bail him out of the trouble. So who is Vernon Foster? Why does he go off, and why does Iads re react? And I got the ending. This is not over yet, people. There's more to come, right? 
Um, I got to be careful how I answer this because I don't want to give yeah, too no, much away. Yeah, no, I was away. very careful when I read this just now. I go like, what? <laughs> um, I, I let me say this in general. All my books don't come to a nice, clean, everything's tied together in a bow at the end. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that, it sort of does for Dylan, um, but some of the other stuff end up as loose ends. And for the simple reason that the world's not perfect, and a lot of people <laughs> get away with stuff, and they just continue on in that, you know, in that behavior. So uh, that's just how I write. I don't tie there's, there's, I don't know, a half a dozen things going on here that intersect with, you know, Dylan's adventures. And some of them are resolved and some of them aren't. And that's kind of how the world is. So I'm not concerned with making sure that every loose end is wrapped up when the book is done because it's fiction. I, I, it's, it's pure fiction. And my, my goal is to entertain but as I mentioned earlier, there is an extrapolation component to the writing, and not everything gets resolved, and there's not justice for everyone. So that's why some of those issues are left hanging out there. Now it's going to hang. So I know it's not over, but I got upset because at the opening, Shelley was missing, and that bothered me. And I said, she's not going to quell Shirley. You can't do that, ever. So I got I got worried about that. <laughs> well, that was by design. <laughs> I, I, I know I got worried. I said, "Wait a minute!" Philip Margolin killed off a Robin's um, boy boyfriend, future husband, in the not this book, but the one before that. And I was like, "How could you do that to me?" And he tried to kill off. I think he almost killed off somebody else in the last one that I just read, Betrayal. And then go, Phil, how did you do? Why did you do this to me? He said it gets boring after a while. Not really. <laughs> so are they yeah. done in camp? I mean, seriously, I, I had a whole lot of authors that killed off main characters, and I go like, I'm not reading your book anymore because where's the main character? Or where's the, where's the minor character? You can't kill Shirley. No, seriously. Well, uh-uh. you know, let me say this. Um, the, the three main characters in the book are Dylan and uh, Alex, his friend, and Esther, his mentor. She, she kind of plays a reduced role in this book. Um, mm, she'll yeah. be back in a more prominent role in the next one. Um, oh, good. You know, I've had readers say to me, well, how much longer is she going to live? And I explain to them, it's fiction. She can be, yeah. you know, a, I don't know, 88 or 92, whatever Doesn't she matter. is, year old, with, forever, right, if I want them to be. Alex and Dylan are kind of stuck in their mid-40s, and she's kind of stuck in her late 80s for now. So I have no – I know that those recurring characters are why people like the books, and I have no intention of getting rid of them. And in Shirley's case, she played a very minor role in the first book. She played a much bigger role in this book. You know, her character certainly developed. Yeah. And um, – I, I wanted people to think something bad was going to happen to her, but I, I, I'm not worried about saying um, everything turns out okay for Shirley and, and her son, Ronnie. I would have been very upset because, you know, she's a loyal employee and I like her. And I don't, you know, I, I learned a long time ago, I'm very perceptive, so I either trust, if I don't, if I don't like you after one minute, forget it. I can tell right away <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> what can I say? So, are they done in Well, the, the irony about Dylan, let, let me say this, because yeah. you brought up a good point. 
the irony about him is he's a very good judge of character for the most part, mm-hmm. except when it comes to women. Something yeah. is, is off. And that's just no one's perfect. And that's just it's just something about him. And, you know, he just he has he, I mean, I would think from a woman's perspective, he's a great catch, but he just doesn't seem to meet the right women. So far. Well, he has to learn not to tell people or show all of his resources or let them know how rich he is because there are a lot of people who are better gold diggers that, you know, marry people and then when they get married to them, they want all their money and then they get rid of them or they just get all the money in a divorce settlement. That bothers me. So he needs to get a little more streetwise, seriously. Yeah, and I think he, for the most part, is. I mean, if you look at the way he lives his life. He drives an old pickup truck for the most part. He dresses I like that. very, very casual. But Rochelle had an agenda that he didn't see. And there, yeah. there's a point where she gets herself invited to his house for the weekend, and he lives in an incredible home on an incredible property. And, um, you know, she starts to put two and two together that this guy is a is a, you know, kind of like the millionaire next door. You know, he's low-key yeah. in his appearance, He's a re- but he's very, very, very wealthy. And she figured that out because that was her agenda. He does not go around. He doesn't wear a Rolex. He, doesn't, he does have a couple nice cars. And the only reason he does is because his tax attorney said, um, you know, you need, you need a write-off and you can buy this car and, you know, write it off the business, mm. and he barely drives it. You know, he prefers to drive the old pickup truck. Well, I, I agree, but you know what? I think when Dylan meets another girl, Shirley needs to do some background checks to make sure they're real. Yeah, yeah. I, this I'm way he won't get to, in trouble. Yeah, yeah well, he because certainly relies Alex, on Shirley. I know. So are they? I know. I read the last page. And I said, "Oh my God!" So I know that there has to be a sequel coming. So what's next for Dylan? And Who's coming besides Esther and I hope Shirley and the um, the other two characters? Quentin is coming back, I hope. Or Alex is coming um, back, I hope. Well, well I Alex, like Quentin. Esther and Dylan and Shirley are all going to be recurring characters. Quentin will probably be. Um, I've got two more books outlined, I think, in the fourth book in the series. In the fourth book, Quentin mm, nice. will play a prominent role. Um, he'll be mentioned in the second book. But the rest of them will be, um, you know, main characters in the third book. And I mentioned that Esther kind of took a backseat in this one. She'll be front and center in the next one. Well, what's next? And where do you see, what's the title of the next one? Give us a little hint. And then where can everybody get all of your books? And I didn't read the first one because I didn't know about it. Um. I'm going to keep the title to myself because it's somewhat of a okay. provocative title. I'm going to I'm going to mm-hmm. drop that at the appropriate time. It's a working title, but I'm going to I'm going to keep that one to myself. Um, if you want to learn more about me and my books, the best place to go is to my website, which is authordanromanello.com, and on there you can see my books, you can see my events, you can contact me. Um, you can sign up to get my newsletter and all the links to my social media, Amazon, and um, basically my book's available anywhere in the world online. So, um, you know, if you're a Barnes & Noble and Amazon, Books A Million, 
uh, Target, Walmart, wherever. Um, my, my book's available there. All, both well, of them. I will hint you, tell you a little secret. I posted my your review on Just Reviews and Hope to God. I, I spell, spell checked it 10,000 times. My computer doesn't let me correct mistakes. Sometimes it just leaves them there. <laughs> no, I think I got them this time. That's why the title came out wrong, because I wrote Blindside Adjusted, and my computer decided it wanted to write something else. So what can you I say? You know what's interesting about that title is when I wrote Paperboy, I knew there were several books out with the mm. Paperboy title. And some one reader just pointed out to me that there's been a subsequent book that's come out since mine titled Paperboy. I have not found yeah. a blindsided justice book anywhere else. Blind justice and, you know, all kind of, you know, different, uh, you know, offshoots of that. But it's the only one. And that's sort of why I'm keeping the second title because I think it's a provocative title and I really want to keep it to myself until I do a cover reveal or something like that. So that's why I'm going to save that one. Well, blindsided justice fits exactly right. If you think about what the corruption and think about the fact that violence is up and why and the reason, so the title does fit. And by the way, your five stars are on Amazon. They love my review. Just let everybody know. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I haven't been giving too many of them. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the sad part is this morning I got an email and I actually turned somebody down. If the book doesn't fit what I want to read and I don't want to put my name, which is just reviews, that's what they call me, on a, re- on a book, I won't review it. I'm very fussy, seriously. Well, I, so, I take that as a, as, a, as a great compliment. Thank you. It is, because Gina, does, she doesn't ask me if I want to. She usually sends me the, the top books and those, and then she'll just say, you're going to do it, right? I go, of course, why not? <laughs> they're, they're the well, best. I appreciate it. I'm they, a new author, and, you know, it's tough to get started, and I'm starting to get a little traction. And, um, you know, I like to write. I'm, reti- I'm a retired attorney, and I've got time, and, you know, I don't have to – I mean, I'd like to make money and be, you know, and, and stuff, but, you know, it's not the reason I write. It's It's hard to get started, and for those of you that don't know – I'm writing, I'm almost done with Mirror Image. I write very scary. And this is totally, I don't know where I came up with this. Uh, someone does, someone looks in the mirror and they see their alter ego, but it doesn't exactly look like you because you've done something really wrong to somebody or something else. It says, you won't remember this conversation, but if you don't repent and change your ways, you're going to wind up as a face in the mirror. I don't know where you know I came what that reminds that. me of. It reminds me what? of remember the old show, The Twilight Zone. Yes, <laughs> that's what it reminds me of. I just came out. I love with that, that show. It, uh, my husband watches, and he makes me watch it also. But I came up with some crazy, crazy stories that I that I want. And one is about the first one's about a raggedy end. All that this character j- dared to destroy, no less what I did to her because I love raggedy end. But. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has brightened my whole day. And believe it or not, the sun's shining before the rain comes. Thank you so much. And I hope you're going to do another one with Partners in Crime so I get it when the new one comes out. Well, I, I'm sur- it's been a good experience, and uh, Gina's great. And, um, yeah, I look forward to working with them again. And thank you. I really appreciate it. I, I really enjoyed myself. 
Thank you. Me too. Everybody, it's a beautiful day outside. Think positive. Have a great day. And let's hope there's no more hurricanes in Florida. Everybody stay safe and bye. Bye Bye-bye.